Amen. I am thankful that he knows and cares about each of us in our unique situations. And I know that uh, we don't typically pass out bulletins on a Wednesday night, but there are so many things happening. We're excited. Our young people are back from camp. And you may not have heard this or heard about this, but uh, this, this year our young people took a huge group to camp. And I'm excited about that because, as we mentioned on Sunday, that just adds momentum to a ministry. And, and our prayer is always that they bring that momentum from camp and that intensity back to the youth ministry, and it just spreads through the whole ministry. And what I found out, I think it was this morning, that, that they were saying that uh, they actually won Camp Champs. Now, I know you may not know what that is, but all week long they do these competitions, and having been to more camps than I can count, there's so many times that you get so frustrated as a youth pastor because you want your kids encouraged, you want them to play and compete, and then a lot of times, you know, maybe the judging doesn't seem quite accurate or something goes wrong, so I'm just thankful when somebody wins, <laughs> you know, and that's exciting, and that just adds almost an exclamation point to the event. Please keep in mind our VBS. It is coming up so quickly, and again, if you would like to volunteer, I guarantee you will have a great time with that. Red Cross Shelter Training is coming up. The Father-Daughter Luau, maybe one of my favorite events of the entire year, is coming soon. I think it's a week from this, um, from this weekend. It's in two weeks. And then um, new life groups starting up for men. All these exciting things are happening. I put on our, on our overheads for tonight, again, about Sunday school classes. I just want to encourage you, if you have not taken advantage of these classes, they are there for you and meant to encourage and build you up in your face, in your faith, in your face, <laughs> your most holy face. <clears throat> what we are going to do tonight is I want to just put an exclamation point on some of the things that Pastor talked about on Sunday. Who, who was just not here Sunday? Gotcha. Who was not here? Okay. Who was here? So for those of you, uh, my intention is not to repeat what he said, but just to put an exclamation point on some of those things, to just drive it home even further. So I don't wanna, we don't want to bore you, but we do want to talk just a little bit more about change. And I thought I would talk personally and just tell you, personally how I feel about change not that you really care but hopefully you'll care a little bit I like change but I really like change if it's my idea is that true for you it's true for me if it's my idea I love it I like change too if it's something that I see as positive I like to be in charge of of whether or not it's the right kind of change I want to judge whether or not the change is the change that we should be happening I also like change if it's something I enjoy. Is this true for any of you? Is it just me? Okay. I also like change, now this is crucial, if it's endorsed by someone I trust. Now, if it's someone I don't care about or don't respect their opinion, then I'm probably, I've already decided I'm not going to like the changes. But if it's somebody who I trust and I respect their opinion, then generally I'm going to like their change. Now, of course, you know that everything changes all the time. Everything changes. Some famous philosopher years ago, I think, I think even a Greek philosopher started this, and then different philosophers through the, through the ages have repeated this. They say that no man ever steps in the same river twice. Have you ever heard this? Because as you pull your foot out, it fills back in, and it's a new river each time. And while that may be a bit of an exaggeration, we all know that everything changes. We know that clothing styles change. Anybody ever looked at pictures of themselves just a few years ago? My kids, for instance enjoy laughing at what I wear. This is, this is my senior year in high school. 
And uh, all I showed them this. I don't know why they were looking at this picture one day, and all they could talk about was how short my shorts were. <laughs> but I was going to pull out some pictures maybe of some of you in the 80s, but instead I just grabbed John Cryer and Molly Ringwall. And anybody remember the 80s? Are you glad we don't dress like that anymore? Uh, no, that wasn't me. Uh, house styles change. Um, Victorians, we have one. We have a few in our neighborhood. They're beautiful homes, beautiful. And then does anybody remember these geodesic domes that popped up in the 70s? Remember how everybody talked about them? It's the most strong structure possible, but they are comical. They look like something out of a comic book or something. And then typically, you know, houses today kind of resemble this. I mean, everything changes. Church styles change. You see these massive structures that look like castles, and then you see this beautiful church like, you know, we drive by every once in a while. I mean, church styles change. That's your, that is my church. Everything changes. Worship styles change. Pastor mentioned this, about how typically the music doesn't, it's not always his music. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the fact that, I, man, if we were to ever break into that chorus, hallelujah, remember that? Who does not know that song? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know why, though? Because when that song happened, it was like my spiritual coming of age. I believe I was probably in 10th grade, and that was the song where I really connected with God in a personal, real way for the first time. And if I hear that song today, or in my personal worship time, if I sing that song, or grab my guitar and play that song, I am instantly transported into the presence of God. That's me. We don't do that song anymore. People don't even know it. I mean, it, and it doesn't matter. It's okay. There's great songs that come out, you know, every year and every generation and every whatever. And that's okay. Those things change. I don't like change when I perceive it as negative. Remember, I like to judge whether it's positive or negative. And I don't like change when it's forced on me. Anybody else like that? I don't like people telling me to change. I certainly don't like people telling me I need to change. Have you ever noticed, too, that certain people telling you that is even more aggravating than others? You may be sitting by one of those people. Don't laugh too loud. I don't like change when it inconveniences me. Anybody else like this? Is it just me? Am I the only selfish person? It, also, I don't like change when it seems unnecessary. But here's something that's difficult then for me to, under, to grasp, and that is the fact that all growth is change. Pastor said this Sunday, and he's right. All growth is change. You've seen change in your own personal life, physically. You watch your kids grow and change. And while some of us may want our kids to stay at one stage of life, the truth is that would be unhealthy, and you really don't want that. You may want to just reckon back to those sweet years when they couldn't talk. No, I'm kidding. Or maybe even before they could walk. Remember how it was when you wanted them to walk so bad? And then once they started walking, you realized that nothing, no place in your house was safe. And we had an early walker. Grace was our early walker. She started work, walking at nine months. She, she really didn't even crawl. She, she kind of moved on the ground on her tummy. Then all of a sudden we're saying, hey, I think she, no, she's not crawling. She's running. <laughs> and while at one hand we thought that was great, that wasn't a great change because it meant she was falling way more often than the other two did. In fact, one time she catapulted herself right into a wood pile. She got this huge chip of wood in her chin and like, oh. But all growth is change, and that's how it is. If you stopped them from doing those things, they wouldn't be healthy and it wouldn't be normal. And the same is true with our personal lives. The same is true with our spiritual lives. And really the same is true with my church. 
and I like to grow. You may see some repetition here. Remember all growth is change? I like to grow. Oh, I meant to say when it doesn't take work. You know what I'm talking about? And some important things in your life that you had to do really took effort and work. And it was maybe more work than you realized it was going to be, but you knew it was something you needed to do. And you look around and maybe some people achieve it easier or some people aren't even trying. And maybe there's a part of you that says, I don't think I need to work this hard for this. But you know it's valuable. But you're just for some reason not motivated. I also like to grow except when I don't see the progress. Has anybody else ever experienced that? And you look back and you think, man, I've been trying so hard and nothing seems to be changing and it's not happening. Like, you know, when you work for patience. You ever done that? Say, God, please give me patience. I've always been told not to pray that because then he'll try your, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is that there's been times in my life where I've tried to grow in certain spiritual areas and I haven't seen the growth. And I wanted to see it, but I haven't seen it and certainly not as quick as I wanted to see it. Again, I don't, I mean, I like growth except when it inconveniences me. (laughs) And when I'm forced to do it against my will. Remember pastor's definition of insanity? I know you've heard this before. But it's doing the same thing and yet expecting different results. I wanted to give you some personal applications to that. I know this doesn't apply to you. We're still talking about me. But how about health and weight loss? Have you ever felt that? You've wanted to be a certain size or in a certain health or lose a certain amount of weight, and yet after a month or two or six or years, or you look back and think, man, I can't believe I'm still the same. But then you evaluate and realize, but I haven't changed anything. I just wanted to be different. But I didn't change anything. I still do the same things and the same habits and eat the same. And if all that's the same, then I'm going to stay the same. How about in your marriage? Maybe you wanted changes in your marriage. And then you look back and realize, but I'm doing the same things. I'm reacting the same ways to the same problems. And I haven't really changed anything. I just want to change. How about any of us who might be in debt? Nobody wants to be in debt. You think, I don't want to be that way. But then you continue to spend when you don't have it. Or you continue to pay the minimum instead of actually changing behavior. And we, unfortunately, or fortunately maybe, aren't the U.S. government. We can't just increase our debt limit every time we want to spend more, we actually have to pay our bills. How about, this is stupid, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. (laughs) I mean, have you ever known anybody that keeps getting sunburned? And you're looking at them like, you know how to stop this, right? But it does require a change. You've got to change something. Something has to change. And this is just an embarrassing, stupid example, but a couple months ago I started noticing that um, I was getting this leak on my driveway. Anybody ever get those? And I have an old truck. I mean, my truck is 97. It's got over 300,000 miles. So getting a leak isn't uncommon. But this particular leak was back by my left rear tire. So I knew what it was, but my brakes were still working. You follow me here? I didn't want to change. I, I, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to make a change that was going to actually, you know, cause work or whatever. And I thought, well, it's working out okay until until that leak was like six feet long and three feet wide on my driveway there, and then you don't have any brakes. Stupid, right? But you do the same thing, just different things. And we typically change when the discomfort of our current situation is greater than the perceived discomfort of changing. So going back to my stupid brake example, 
I knew what it was going to take to change my brakes. I knew I was going to have to repair both sides. I knew I was going to have to do all the work, and it was going to be three or four hour investment. I knew that. But until the discomfort was great enough for me to overcome that discomfort, I wasn't ready to do it. It was easy enough just to put a little more brake fluid into the, the reservoir in the front. You see how this works? You do the same thing. And there's things in your life that you know you need to change that God has told you you need to change, but you're still not uncomfortable enough to get over that hump and make the change. But here's the thing. What were we talking about with this church? We're not talking about just changing for the sake of changing. Do you remember the whole motivation? Why do we want to change? Anybody remember? This is the test now. What? <laughs> to grow? Why are we wanting to grow, though? <laughs> Carol just cussed up here. Yes? And Carol said, because we want to depopulate hell. That's true. Because there are lost people in the world who need to know Jesus. But here's the problem with that. When we put that, we put that into our calculation of comfort, the problem is that we're asking you to change from a place of comfort. It's not like we're uncomfortable about people going to hell, are we? Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but if you were really uncomfortable about people going to hell, then you would change your behavior. We would all change our behavior. I would change my behavior. This church would change its behavior. Do you see how that works? Do you see how that fits into this equation? But the thing is, we're not that uncomfortable with it, and we are more comfortable with where we are with this many people in the church at the time. It's nice this way. It works out this way. Things are cleaner this way. Nothing gets dirty. You know, you've got to do a lot less vacuuming because there's not that many feet messing it up. You see how this works? We're asking you to, to actually move from a place of comfort to discomfort. We're asking you to change from where you are, which is okay with you and me and us and this church, to a place that is uncomfortable. As a person, as a church, I love Pastor's Illustration Sunday, like the hound on the tack. Remember that? And he would yelp every once in a while. If somebody said, why didn't he move? Because it's not that bad yet. I love that idea. <laughs> Think about that. It might hurt us a little bit, but not enough to move. Mm. And as a church. Now, with all of that, though, let's be clear. It does come with unintended consequences. We do want to grow. We do want to change. I thought we would do a, an actual physical illustration. Anybody want to help me with this? Nobody? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Not one person. David, you want to help me? You don't trust me? I only need four or five people. Okay, come on up, Frank. All right. You were fine. You know what? That's true. You were comfortable sitting there. And what made you feel uncomfortable enough to change? It was that awkwardness of silence and nobody helping. Oh, see? See, the discomfort made you move. I actually need one more person, at least. Come on, Here's what I'm going to illustrate for you guys for a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. It does? It's not. Here's what I'm going to help you guys do. Okay. 
Okay, this, this is a system, and we all have systems. We have family systems, church systems, personal systems. When you make a change, it affects everything, although you don't realize it. That's why the, the cost involved sometimes is there, and we don't even notice it. Now, what I want you guys to do is all kind of gently lean backward and take a step in. Now, look how they're completely balanced. I mean, this is balanced all the way around. Now, here's what I'd like to have happen. I'm going to move out of the way. This is, this is how our lives are right now. They're comfortable. They're pe- peaceful. <laughs> but, but let's just have Jeff Moore, if you would just let go. See, they had to readjust. They all had to adjust. It meant moving their feet. meant finding another place. Now they're going to find another place of stasis and comfort in this system. Now go ahead and, Jeff, join back in and see what happens. See, again, they have to adjust. Here's the thing. Thank you, man. Here's the thing. With each of our changes we make, you have to understand that there's going to be adjustments, and they may not be obvious at first. And I was kidding about the carpet, but do you realize, uh, you know, a church right now that's running three, four hundred, if we're going to have three times that many people, do you realize? We may have to replace the carpet in a year or two. Is that okay? Is it worth it? Is it worth that price? How about this? There's some other changes that will come into play. What if, um, what if your seat got taken, Carol? No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing Carol because she's close and she teases back. What if, what, if, what if you couldn't park as close as you used to park? I mean, what, that's a long hill. Like when we hosted the, uh, the, uh, that uh, emergency response deal for churches a few weeks ago, that was, it was kind of, it was strange to see the entire parking lot full and to watch these people walking from way down, that's a long way down there. How many of you would think, I'm, I think I'm going to get there earlier so none of these new people get my spot? <laughs> you would? Oh. <laughs> see, there you go, looking on the bright side. She's saying there's a convenience to not being able to drive because people drop her off at the door. But there will be changes, and some of them aren't going to be the same. I want to tell you about Melissa and Kendra. These were two girls in my youth group years ago, maybe 15 years ago. These were girls who had come to the church for a long time. And as youth pastor, I don't want to tell you pastor secrets or anything, but I'll tell you a quick little secret about being a pastor. Standing here, I have a view that nobody has. I get to see, I see facial expressions, I see reactions, I can see if people are paying attention, I see how people respond, I see when you're yawning, no, I'm kidding, you're not yawning, really, <laughs> I see all that, and I knew these girls, and I knew that they weren't quite living the life for God, and I knew things about them, and every time we go to an event like a camp, like Pastor Jeremy and the youth went to this last week, you're praying that these kids are going to go and sign up. And sometimes you would even, you know, pay a little for them to go. Just somehow get them there. And hoping that somehow they would be overwhelmed by the presence of God or the message they'd hear it in a different way or worship. Somehow God would get a hold of them and change their lives. And one year, at, we were at youth convention. You know, thousands of kids in there. And the altar call is happening and kids are flooding to the altar and I'm sitting there just praying for these girls to go, go. Because you never know. You never know if you're going to get another chance at them. 
and, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe they'll make the cheer team or drama or something and then pull out and you'll never see them. You just never know. And I, from my angle, I was sitting, I could, I, it looked like they were talking and, you know, I'm kind of getting frustrated and thinking, oh, I don't want them talking right now. I want them responding. So I kind of got where I could actually see and they weren't talking. They were crying. They were bawling. So then I'm thinking, well, cool. It's, you know, to myself, excellent. They're crying. So I wanted to get them down to the altar. So I go over there and I just, I said, guys, what's, what's going on? Here's what they said. Do you know how many times we've gone down there? I didn't, I didn't know. I said, a lot? They said, yeah. And every time we mean it, but we don't change. We come home and we go right back to it. So basically, they went on to tell me that they said, we want to change, but we don't want to fake it anymore. We want to really, really change or not fake it. I respected that. I respected the honesty and I respected the dilemma that they were feeling and the tug of the Holy Spirit that was happening in their heart. He was, God was pulling on their heart so hard, but, but the fact is that they knew that they had failed him before. They knew that they had been called to change their life and be different and they had wanted to and they had meant it, but then when they got back into the rest of their life, what happened was it was just kind of like these guys with this, this example up here. Because that change for God meant that their friends were going to change. It meant that their, their social life was going to change. It meant that their wardrobe was going to change. It meant a lot of changes. And they were experiencing the conflict of those unintended consequences that were going to pull them back into the way that they used to live. They didn't want to be that way anymore. They did go down to the altar, and one of them did make a change for good. The other one did not. Peter quotes this scripture out of Proverbs. And he said, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Ouch. I know, ouch. Isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> a friend told me a story once about his kid who had this uh, rabbit, a pet rabbit but he never took care of it and they had it in the house and then they moved it to the garage because it smelled and you know just I mean the rabbit cage was just a little above its poop but it was just gross so one day he talked to his son and he just said can we just are you done with the rabbit you don't really even care about it and the kid goes yeah okay so the dad said he took it outside and he opened the cage and he just left it there and he stood there for a long time and the rabbit didn't move he just stood there. So then he said, he goes, I stood there like 15 minutes. I'm like, rabbit, you're free. Can you leave, please? And so the rabbit didn't move. So he said what he did was he got in there and he pushed the rabbit out of the cage and kind of pushed it away from the cage a little bit. And the rabbit looked around, hopped around a little bit, and he thought, okay, good, we're done. And he walked back in the house. And then he said he went and looked out the window, the kitchen window, and the rabbit was back in the cage. It was back in the cage. That's what we do. We want to change, but the changes require so much that we're willing to go back to whatever it was that was holding us down and keeping us in the place where we know God doesn't want us to be anymore. And this goes far beyond just my church. It starts with us as person, uh, individuals. 
And what is it that God wants to do in us individually to make this change in a church? Let's take a look at Romans and what Paul says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That's change. Transformed is change. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I don't want to do to us tonight is put this challenge to you to change and then not give you any tools or show you how God wants us to change and steps to make that change. Really, Paul lays it out in here. He he says, the first thing he says is that we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Maybe you've done that before. That's the first thing, really, that those two girls needed to do. They needed to get a point to a point where they literally placed themselves as a sacrifice on the altar. What, what, what Paul is trying to say here, he's not talking about human sacrifice or weirdness like that. What he's talking about is getting to the point where you're willing to give it all away as a sacrifice, not holding anything back, no part withheld. It's not as if you're saying, well, God, I'll give you all of myself except what I watch on TV or accept what I do with my money, or accept my personal time, or accept no accepts, no exceptions. Sacrifice it all. That is a huge thing. And if you're ready to buy all in and tell him, yes, I'm ready for all of this, then you can move on to this next part. He, he says in there, don't conform, but be changed. And he tells you how, by renewing your mind. Let me, let me put it simply this way. What we feed grows. If you continue to feed the patterns that you're in now and you continue on that same path that you're on now, then you're feeding your current way of living and that's what you're going to get. On the other hand, if you renew your mind and feed yourself with the word of God and his will and his thoughts and those things, then that will help you change. Then you'll know what God's will is, his perfect pleasing will, and you will be more apt to make that change and to do it. Here's what I'm saying. What you feed grows. A lot of men struggle. They say it's the number one addiction in the country is pornography. The number one addiction. I don't know how they measure that. I don't know. I hear about it. And I'll tell you this. God gave men a natural sex drive. We know that. Everybody knows that. He gave it to us for a good and healthy reason. The problem is, in this sexualized society and with the availability and access that men have to pornography, we overstimulate and overfeed that good gift that God gave us to a point where it causes sin and addiction. So how do you fix that? How do you change that? You starve that and feed your spirit. Feed your spirit with spending time in the Word, spending time in worship, spending time with God's people, spending time like that in prayer. You feed the good thing, starve the bad thing. Think think about any any struggle you have, anything that you need to change. What, What Paul is telling us, it's a formula for change. How do you change? You give it all to God, and then you feed yourself with Him. Let Him overwhelm you and change who you are from the inside out. I was reading, I I love C.S. Lewis, and I know you know that because I mention him a lot. 
I, one of the quotes he, I read last week of his said, living for God is hard except for those who do it. You know what he's saying? The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Sure, it's hard. You hear about somebody praying, you know, hours and hours a day or an hour a day or 30 minutes a day sounds re- just impossible. It does, doesn't it? Until you pray five minutes a day and then 10 and then 20. And then it's hard to imagine not praying that much time because as you develop a relationship with him, you want to be with him more. It's one of those things that if you feed that, it will grow. And in that process, he will renew your mind and you will have a totally different relationship with him. And what is his will that we're supposed to find? Pastor emphasized this in my little quiz to you earlier. This is what it's about. I don't see Helen here, Carol. I'm just kidding, I do. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost from hell. Right? That's what he came for. His will is clear on this. I love how, uh, I don't remember even who said this, but they said, it's not the things in the Bible I, I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do. So many people struggle over what is God's will for my life. You know what? There's times in your life where that may be difficult to understand, but certain things we know clearly are his will. His will is to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's his heart. That's the heart and the place of discomfort that we should all share with him that changes the way we act and live. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. That's why he was here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is his will. You want to get closer to him and be, be more about what he's about? This is what he's about. This is it. This is us growing as a church and my church. This is not about a numbers thing. It's about the fact that there are lost people everywhere and we need to be so uncomfortable about uncomfortable about that that it changes the way we live so what is it that you need to change i'm going to get personal here what is it that you need to change what needs to change in you so that you have the same heart as jesus had and that you are reaching the lost and i know right away you some of you are saying well it's easy for you to say you're a professional christian you're outgoing you like talking to strangers first thing you need to change literally is your attitude attitude is everything attitude is everything if you approach this with the fact with the attitude of i can't do what they do or whatever then you will not change on the other hand if you approach this with the attitude that i am giving myself sacrificially to god a living sacrifice which is my worship to him then what that means is god i'm up for whatever you want careful before you say that because that's scary and it's uncomfortable and i'm not talking to going to saipan that's not what i'm talking about but you know what it might mean that the truth is if you're going to give yourself as a sacrifice to him then that means that you open yourself up to whatever he wants whatever he wants that is the attitude and the mindset the default position that we as christians should have that we are sacrificed to him the next thing you need to change may be your routine. I love this concept. Some of you uh, don't like interruptions. I understand that. There's a lot of times where I'm trying to get something done, and I'm thinking as I'm talking to somebody, aren't they picking up my nonverbal cues that I'm in a hurry? 
They don't see that. I'm not really chatting. I'm not time to chat right now. And I love to talk to people, but there's times where I don't have time. I I want you to think about this for a minute with me. Think about Scripture. Just survey what you know about the Gospels and Jesus' ministry. How many of the famous stories in Jesus' ministry were planned? Now, maybe they were planned in a divine sense. He knew everything. He knew all these things were going to happen. But the woman at the well is an interruption. Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. Is that an interruption? What about the children not being able to come to him? What about Jairus' daughter? What about the woman with the issue of blood? These weren't things that were, hey, Jesus was going to go and do this at this time. Now, there were times where he was on his way to heal or to, you know, to raise uh, Lazarus from the dead. But my point is, so many things in Scripture with even Jesus himself were literally divine interruptions. What if part of what God is calling us to is to stop looking at the world as our schedule and wonder, hey, God, what's on your schedule for me today? You ever pray that way? Scary prayer. Again, very scary. God, I'm willing if you'll put some divine interruptions for me today. Who do you want me to talk to today? And then as you walk through your day, you're kind of looking at these people like, I wonder who it is. God, I hope it's not him. (laughs) With that, though, I challenge you to do this. Pray. Listen. A divine interruption would be like if somebody comes in your life and you didn't plan for it, but God did. And he wants you to talk to him or them or her. To listen, to look differently, to pray as you're walking through your day. God, is this, am I, what am I supposed to say to this person? How would I turn this conversation to something eternal to talk about you? How could I turn this and make it, make it an opportunity for someone to hear the gospel for the very first time? I know I've told you this before, but studies show that it usually takes seven to eight presentations of the gospel for the average person to respond. Seven to eight. I want it to be one, and it's the one time I say it. He didn't set it up that way. You might be five, but are you willing to be number five so that then six and seven can happen, and then they're in the kingdom? How about this? Comfort zone. You know anybody who's got a really narrow comfort zone? It's like they're hitting the thermostat every few minutes. Is it you, or you know them? Oh, you know them. (laughs) You know that they can't take a lot of heat and they can't take a lot of cool and they don't like a lot of noise and they don't like a lot of crowds. And we all have those zones wherein we're comfortable. And that's normal. It's natural. God made us a certain way and that's okay. It's okay. One second, I'll get to your question. Comfort zones. We all have those. My challenge to you, though, is what if God wanted to stretch yours? Would that be okay? You think that might fall into being um, sacrificial and putting your comfort zone on the altar, maybe? Maybe? (laughs) What were you going to say, Lori? She's been talking with a friend of hers who has a friend who's an atheist putting stuff on Facebook and kind of having this ongoing conversation. Let me take us a step 
broader. And well, let me go back to comfort zone for a second. Please don't think that I think you need to be like me. I don't think that. I used to think that when I was really young and immature. I thought everybody who wasn't like me was wrong or bent or something. But I've learned a lot. And I've found that quiet people have this weird ability to talk to quiet people where I make them uncomfortable. You notice that? Any quiet people I've made uncomfortable? I apologize. <laughs> have you noticed this? That, that there are times when um, you know somebody that nobody else knows and you have this unique ability to talk to them? Have, have you ever, perhaps this, this is another dangerous prayer. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been here today and you're thinking, well, I could never initiate a conversation with somebody. You know what? Why don't you pray that they would come talk to you? I know that's even scarier maybe, but they might come to you and actually have a question. They might see something in your life that's worth asking about and that you just need to pray, God, please help me be faithful. Pastor mentioned a great example of a couple in our church who had an opportunity to share Christ and they missed it. They told us about it and they were telling us about it and in the story they were talking about how he was literally crying out of guilt and failure and then swore that that would never happen again. And the very next day, God gave him another opportunity to share Christ, and he didn't, he didn't flinch. He did it. Here's the thing. Here's what we need to know, is that God knows who you are. He knows your personality. He made you unique in the way he made you, and he's got people uniquely for you to reach that no one else is going to reach. It doesn't have to be just the professional Christians. So what do we need to change? That was about you. But what do we need to change? This church, this group of believers, these crown point Corinthians right here, what do we need to change? What is it? I'm putting a word up here, ethos. What ethos means is it's the culture of our church. It's almost like the personality of the church. I mean, every group has a personality. Every group you go into has a personality. Maybe you've noticed this. You go, you have a certain group of friends. You go there and it's all like lively and loud and happy and talkative. And then you, you have another group of friends, maybe they're quiet and really thoughtful and philosophical. I mean, everybody has a personality, every organization, every church. What is ours? I'll tell you what pastor and I, the staff and board and church we've been praying for is that one thing we need to have is a culture of prayer. That prayer undergirds and is the center and foundation of everything. Not just that we use prayer as, as when we're in trouble, God help us although that is so huge, but it's also prayer. God, we want, your, we want you to be glorified. We want to be praying for the lost. We want to be praying for people. We want to be praying for God's will to be done. We want everything that we do to be clothed in and defined around prayer. We want our church to be a church that is outward focused. That's thinking about people who are lost. Every pastor, we were talking about this, this is last week. If every sermon we preached was just for the church folk, I mean, that doesn't help. I mean, it helps a little bit for us to grow. I mean, but we have Sunday school for that. We have life groups for that. But not every sermon is necessarily going to be one where us who've been in church all our lives, I mean, think about how many sermons you've heard. I mean, let's say you've been a Christian 10 years. I mean, how many weeks in a year? There's 52, but we'll just round it up, round it off to 50 so you've been a Christian 10 years, so how many sermons is that? Serious? 500? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, don't take your shoes off to count, brother. 500, 
Okay, 500 sermons in, in 10 years. That's a lot of sermons. You probably know most of the Bible. There's going to be a time where you're going to sit in here and you're going to think, wow, I think I knew that. You know what? That's all right. Because it's not always about us getting, you know, it's not always every time about us. Sometimes it's about other people. Another thing we need to have is that we're open to things changing. To, to, for new people to come in, things change. Faces look different. Crowds look different. Activities are different. People running things will be different people. It will be changed. Crown Point Church, what are we about? What is this church's culture supposed to be about? We're about loving God and then loving others. We want people to think that when they think of Crown Point Church. We want that to be literally what they think of. That that phrase defines who we are. Classic Christianity. For God came into the world to save sinners. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what we're about. And how does that look? We talk about this, about there's, there's times where we'll be growing in Christ ourselves, growing. We're going to be connecting with each other, with God. We're going to be going and telling people about it. All these things are going to be happening. Oh, I'm going to so mess that up. I want to tell you a story. And maybe you've heard this before. So if, if you've heard it before, I apologize. But I just wanted you to tell you a story. There once was this life-saving outpost on the coast. And it was a place really rocky with a lot of waves and a lot of wind. And a lot of boats wrecked there. So there was this uh, life-saving outpost that was built. And it was rough and it was rugged. But it served a purpose. And what, what they would do there is when they would see ships... They would try to warn them, but when they crashed, and they always did, they would, they would get in the lifeboats, and they would go out, and they would do whatever it took to save the people who were lost and in the water. And they would bring them in, and like I said, it was a rugged outpost. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't fancy. But they could keep them warm and give them something to eat and get them help. And what would happen is that as more of those people got saved, people thought, I'm grateful for that outpost. So they started to give money and and for more life-saving to happen. And then some people thought, well, you know, this is rugged and rugged is functional, but it'd be nice if it was just a little bit nicer. So instead of cots, they started to put in beds and then, and then you know, they started to seal up all the walls and make it really nice and comfortable inside. And then they started to spend a little bit more time talking about how great it was that they were saved. And they would still go and send out boats every once in a while, but eventually they didn't really like how many people were coming in and they would get the nice furniture wet. And sometimes the people would eat all the food and sometimes they just didn't have the right you know, personalities and they didn't have the right manners. And so eventually they stopped sending boats out altogether. And then one day somebody realized, wait, there's people out there still and they're still crashing and the boats are still here, but we're not using them. So some of the people started taking the boats out and then it created this conflict and and when they had this conflict inside the life-saving station, what ended up happening is they did a vote, and the vote went like this, and they just told the people, well, if you want to do this still, we don't do that anymore. What we do is take care of the people who are already saved. What we, so if you want to do that, why don't you move a little bit further down the coast and start your own life-saving station? So they did. And as they started sending out the boats and pulling people in and saving people, Unfortunately, the cycle just repeated itself because they started off rough and 
started off without all the amenities, but eventually people were grateful and gave money, and the life-saving station got nicer again. And what's sad is people are still out there, but now the coastline is dotted with all these really nice former life-saving stations. So what I'd like to do tonight is leave you with that and leave you uncomfortable so that you want to change. Could you bow your heads with me for just one second? First thing I want to ask you is this. I'm wondering, as, as we've been speaking tonight, the Holy Spirit is so good about personally talking to our hearts about the things that we personally need to change. Maybe for you, it is your routine. Maybe you don't have room in your routine for anybody to break in or you don't talk to anybody or you just have left that to everybody else. Maybe in your personal life, even as we were talking, that there are things that you know you need to change and you know God wants you to change, whether that's the time you spend in his word or maybe it's certain things that you know you should not be doing that you're doing. If any of those things fit you and you know that the Holy Spirit tonight has been talking to you about a personal place of change, with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I just want you to raise your hand. I see those hands. Thank you. The second and last question I have is this. I'm wondering the changes that we as a church make as those changes come with your head still bowed I'm just going to ask you this rhetorical question are you ready for those changes imagine yourself as one of the four guys that were up here holding on to that strap and as changes come can you move with those changes can you be one that embraces those because there are lost people and we are a life-saving station might get messy things might get dirty People might not know the right way to act, but are you ready for that? Are you committed to make that change? And if, that's, if you are and you're willing to make those changes, again, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just raise your hand? Appreciate that. I just want to pray for you. God, I pray for first for those of us who raised our hands that we have personal areas of our life that you are calling us to change.